There we go. We're, we're continuing through our journey of the Old Testament and the Old Testament books. Uh, we're on week five. Um, we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy, but it's very important that as we enter into the book of Deuteronomy, we remember the journey so far. We remember way back in Genesis that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis, how God made a promise to this man Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that as many as the stars were in the sky, so would be his descendants. That God would bring from him and make him the father of all nations and that he would be and his offspring would be a blessing to all people. Then we go into Exodus and the people of Israel find themselves enslaved Enslaved in the land of Egypt, a land that only a few generations before one of their own, Joseph, was second in command of and had good standing and stood by the people of Israel, but was soon forgotten as the generations went on and they found themselves enslaved by Pharaoh. But Exodus tells of the great Exodus, the freeing, the redeeming of the people of Israel from the tyranny and slavery of their oppressors and how God led them out of the land by fire and by cloud. God went with his people. But his people start to moan. His people start to grumble. They're given a law and God makes a covenant with them. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And then he says, but I'm a holy God. And we go into the book of Leviticus, which speaks of how we are to be holy as he is holy. But the people of Israel, they break this covenant relationship that they have with God, but God does not abandon them. You see, God had promised a land that was flowing with milk and with honey. That he would not just lead them out of Egypt into a wilderness, but he would lead them to a land beyond their wildest dreams. And then we go into Leviticus and we see all the laws that are put in place so that the people of Israel can be the holy people that God has called them to be, so that they can be holy as he is holy. And then the book of Numbers. The people have fallen short, the people have made mistakes, but the people have repented. And Numbers chapter 1 and verse 1 tells of how God spoke with Moses from within the tent, and how God's presence is now amongst his people and how all of that is played out. And as we go into the book of Deuteronomy, Moses stands before the people because what has happened as part of the book of Numbers is that the people have again turned away from God. And as a result of that, they've been told that this generation will not see that land, that promised land that is flowing with milk and honey because of their disobedience to God, because of their disregard of his laws and his precepts, 
because of their disregard of this covenant that they have made with him. This generation will not see. So as we go into the book of Deuteronomy, the start of the book of Deuteronomy tells of a wandering that is not through the wilderness that is now in its 40th year. But right at the start, we learn a key lesson. Right at the start of the book of Deuteronomy, there is hope in a hopeless situation. Right at the start of Deuteronomy, we see Moses teaching this new generation the way of God. Isn't that a cracker picture, by the way? Teaching the new generation. And you can just imagine them sitting in this awe and wonder and them having a bit of crack with Moses. A laugh. And Moses is passing on to them the promises. He's telling them time and time again of the promises that God has made to the people. Do you know that God doesn't work to our time scale? So when God promised that he would lead the people into a land flowing with milk and honey, he actually meant it. Yes, this previous generation, the ones that were freed from the tyranny of slavery in Egypt, they would not see the fulfillment of that promise. But this generation, this generation would see it. And they'd see it with their own eyes. They would experience the goodness of God. And right at the start, we see the importance of teaching the new generation the promises of God. Deuteronomy 1 and 3 to 5 says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Zihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Basan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrei. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. He took it upon himself, as the Lord had commanded him, to pass on the promise of God. And before we dive into the book of Deuteronomy, it's very important that we don't miss this. Let's be honest, as we read the scriptures, sometimes there's difficult words. Sometimes there's things that we just skip over because it just seems like, I'm not even sure if I pronounce any of those names or places right, by the way. right? But when we come to scripture, sometimes there are lists. Sometimes there are big words. Sometimes there are difficult words. And as a result, sometimes we can miss the lesson. Sometimes we can miss the meaning of what God is saying here. And right at the start of the book of Deuteronomy, it's so quick that if we read it too quickly, we'd miss it. Moses is explaining to the next generation of the faithfulness of God. He's telling them of the God who is holy. And calls his people to be holy. He's telling them of the God who created the whole world. He's telling them of a God who had freed their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. He's told them of the mistakes that both the people of Israel have made. 
and that Moses himself had made. He's telling them and passing on to them the importance of the faithfulness of God. And the scripture is a living word. The scripture has something to say to us tonight. And just as Moses passed on of the faithfulness and the promises of God to the next generation, God is saying to us, his church, you've got to do the same. You've got to do the same. Not all of us in this room have children, but everybody in this room knows somebody younger than them. We were talking and joking about age before the service, weren't we? And then whenever you hit 52, you flip the numbers around and you're actually 25 when you're counting your birthdays. But actually, the reality is, no matter what age we are, right from the oldest to the youngest in the room, so everybody knows somebody who is younger than them. And we have a responsibility, church, to pass on the faithfulness of God to the next generation. To pass on the faithfulness of God to those who are younger than us. Yes, we have the opportunity and responsibility to also pass it on to those who are older than us as well. But we do. We have a responsibility to tell others of the faithfulness of God. Scripture backs up scripture. So Deuteronomy is not the only place that we see this happen. In Psalm 78 and verses 4 to 6, cut off a little bit at the end, but that's okay, I'll read it to you. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. In other words, we'll count our blessings, we'll name them two by two, and we'll go and we'll tell people about it. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the child, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. This passing down of knowledge of the goodness of God, this telling of the knowledge of the goodness of God and the experience of the goodness of God in our lives. We don't just do that testimony time because it's a filler in the service. We do it because it's instructed in Scripture. Tell others of the goodness of God in your life. Pass it down from generation to generation to generation. I studied history at university, as many of you know, alongside my theology. And do you know why history exists? Why we have written records of history? Because people want to pass on the knowledge of what has happened. You ever tried to do research on something that very little is written about? It's like pulling teeth. Let there be loads written. Let there be loads shared of the goodness of God in our lives. Goodness of God. We often say that we stand on the shoulders of giants of the faith. That we are here today. And the reality is we are here today because somebody shared the goodness of God with us. Do you know that each one of you has been prayed for at some point in your life? 
I can actually say that each one of you is prayed for every day by your pastor. But there are many who have gone before, who have prayed into your life, who have sold into your life. And they have, their lasting legacy is you. <laughs> their lasting legacy is you and others. But they took it upon themselves on the authority of Scripture to tell you of the goodness of God. It's amazing, isn't it? And do you know what's even more amazing? God commands us to do the same. Tell others of his goodness. I was welling up, if I'm completely honest, as I was putting, piecing all my notes together into the PowerPoint and I was drawn to 2 Timothy 1. And I welled up at this. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young man who he has mentored and is actually placed as pastor of a church that he has planted in Ephesus. And he writes to Timothy and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Do you see the generational passing on? I think of my grandfather who shared the goodness of God, my grandmother who shared the goodness of God with my mum, who then shared the goodness of God with me and my brothers, this generational passing on. For this reason, I remind you, Paul writes, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The biggest reason not to share the goodness of God with other people is fear. Fear of rejection, fear of scoff, fear of being made fun of or laughed off. But here we are reminded not only of the generational passing on, but we are reminded that we are not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. And we must be the people who are teaching the new generation. Just as Moses gathered the generation that would inherit the promised land, the land promised to them by God, so we need to be those who pass on the knowledge of the goodness of God to other people. We could stop there. We could just stop there and sit down and worship and go home. But actually, the book of Deuteronomy is so rich. What goodness are you passing on? What goodness are you passing on? The second big theme of the book of Deuteronomy is the Shema. A means by which the goodness of God was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And it's found in chapter 6 and verses 4 to 9. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Do you see that theme of passing on? Appearing again here. And shall talk of them when you sit in the house. When you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. In other words, talk of the goodness of God all the time. All the time. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Talk about the goodness of God. Talk about the need to love him with heart, with soul, and with all of our might. And it goes further and says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Very quickly. Right at the start here, it says, Hear, O Israel. You could say this is about listening. Listening. And and we don't have time to go into all of the Hebrew roots of the words and explain them all out. But basically, listen, hear, or hear doesn't just mean hear. It also means respond. And we talked a bit about that this morning, didn't we? Whenever we talked about not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. So whenever we are called to listen here, we are called to not only listen, but we are also called to respond. Another word for that is we are called to obedience. Obey what God has said. Obey what God has said. And then we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. And love here is so much more than emotion. So much more than emotion. It was Valentine's Day a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? And you just love it. You go into into all the shops and there's all these boxes of chocolates. Um, We we went the night before Valentine's Day to Tesco to get a few things. And it was amazing the amount of men in particular that were just running about frantically. And there was a member of this congregation, we'll not name him, he's not here tonight. But he was running frantically and he goes, do you think this would be a good present? It's not Gary, don't worry, John. Because you think this would be good. (laughs) Right? And... Valentine's Day is, is one of those hilarious holidays where people run frantically so that they can show their love. But it's a deeper love than that. It's deeper than the emotion of love. But here, it speaks about a decision. A decision in the back row with Reverend Norman Patterson. He, he married Chloe and I and he talked about in our premarital classes about making the decision to love one another. Even when things get tough, even when things get hard, even when there was disagreements, you make a decision to love one another. And here, when it speaks of love, it not only speaks of emotion, but it speaks of that decision that we are, no matter what life throws at us, we are going to love God with all that we've got. Love him with all that we've got. We can call that devotion. And whenever you combine these hearing or listening element 
and the love element, whenever you combine obedience and devotion. Here, what it's saying is that God is giving his people the opportunity to be that kingdom of priests that he called them to be in Exodus chapter 19. In other words, it gives the people of Israel an opportunity, a chance to show the whole world the wisdom and justice of God. And to worship him only. And just as it was for the children of Israel, we live in a climate, we live in a reality where things just don't seem to honour God. Our world just doesn't seem to honour God. Wisdom, they talk about common sense and it's misnamed. Because common sense isn't that common anymore. Talks about wisdom. Wisdom, as we look across our world, is sadly lacking. Justice. Justice is almost nowhere to be seen. But here in the Shema, God is giving the people of Israel and he's giving us, his people this evening, opportunity to show the world the wisdom and the justice of God. When we love him with all that we've got. Because whenever we are wholly devoted, whenever we obey that which he tells us to do, something changes within us. We become more and more like Jesus. And Jesus was countercultural. Jesus brought blessing wherever he went. Jesus did so much more than we can imagine. And God is saying, you can do the same. I'll make you like my son. You can make a difference in this world in which we live. And actually, to drill home the importance of this, Jesus is asked a question in Matthew chapter 22. The Sadducees have come and they've asked him a question and he's just silenced them. They have no refute. They've tried to trip him up and they've had no refute and they've been left silenced because they've realised that they can't seem to trip him up and get him to say what they want him to say. But it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You'll love God holistically with everything that you've got. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. You see here in the Shema, 
God gives us, his people, the opportunity to be those kingdom carriers, those difference makers, and a people who are a holy people who are devoted to a holy God. He gives us the instructions. And very, very often, we as the people of God can be a bit like men whenever we get a new toy. And we throw the instruction manual to one side and we try and figure it out all by ourselves. I can say that because I'm a man. Ladies, you can't say that. Right? But actually, the instructions are there for us. How can we be difference makers? How can we be the holy people of God? How can we be that kingdom of priests that point to another way? Follow the instructions. Love God holistically. Obey his commandments. Be hopelessly devoted to him. And then we will be a blessing to the nations. A blessing to those around about us. Then we will gain impact in when we teach the new generations of the goodness of God because they will see the goodness of God at work within us. So we've got teaching the new generation. We've got the Shema. And then we've got this concept in the book of Deuteronomy of the circumcision of the heart. Now we don't have time this evening to go into and plunge the depths of this. You could do a whole series of holiness messages on the circumcision of the heart. But what's an important background for us to know is that whenever God made his covenant with Abraham, in one of those covenants, he said, let there be an outward sign of this covenant. And as a result, all Jewish uh, boys were circumcised as a sign of their Jewishness, as a sign that they belonged to God and they were under the covenant and they were part of God's covenant people. And here, God flips the script. He doesn't say that that circumcision, that sign of the covenant is to cease at this stage, but he flips the script in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there the Lord will gather you, and from there he will take you. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how far off you are. I, the Lord your God, I will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And then it says in verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Here, God begins to speak of an inward sign. Something that happens on the inside. Something that is so radical in the thought process of the people of Israel. They're so used to this outward sign 
sealing them as part of the covenant people. But here God flips the script and he says, I'm going to circumcise your heart. And I'm going to circumcise the heart of your offspring. In other words, I'm going to bring your heart in line with mine. I'm going to make you a holy people. You will be the holy people of God so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So that you will be able to follow the instructions that I have given you. Here God is saying, I'm going to make this as easy for you as I possibly can. Because I know that you're flawed. I know that you're human. I know that you make mistakes. I know that your mind wanders off. I know that you're prone to do what you know you ought not to do. I know that very often there are things that you know you should do and you want to do them, but you can't. But I'm going to align your heart with mine. A different circumcision is going to take place. And this time it's going to happen on the inside. It's going to happen at the very core of your being. And it's going to enable you to love me with all that you've got. It's going to enable you to fulfill the Shema in your life. That you would be an obedient people who are devoted to me, the Lord, your God. And Paul picks this up in the book of Romans. And he's writing to the church in Rome. And he's saying, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision the, the apostle Peter spoke of Paul in one of his letters and essentially said Paul, Paul, Paul complicates things sometimes <laughs> but stick with this right because it explains itself if we le- lean in intently it says for circumcision is of indeed, uh, indeed is of value if you obey the law but if you break the law your circumcision becomes uncircumcision so if a man who is circumcised Keeps, uh, who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the laws will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Here, Paul is saying this. It doesn't matter anymore if you're circumcised on the outside. It's about what's in here that, ha- that matters. There's a lot more background to this, again, that we don't have time to go into this evening. But it is very important for us tonight that we realize that God calls us to be a circumcised people not outwardly but inwardly that we would be his holy people that our hearts would be aligned with his that we would be a people who would love him with all of our heart with all of our soul and with all of our mind that we would love him with all that we've got. Do you remember that old song, Hopelessly Devoted to You? It's not a hymn, it's a pop song. 
God wants us to be hopelessly devoted to him. Because when we're hopelessly devoted to him, what we gain is hope. He replaces that hopelessness with hope. Hope of life and life eternal. He replaces our fear with a spirit of power, love and self-control. He takes our sinfulness and our brokenness and he makes us a holy people in the image of his son by the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The whole crux of the book of Deuteronomy as the people prepare to inherit the land that God has promised to them is this. That to inherit the promise of God, we must be an inwardly holy people who live out that holiness in the land that God has given to us. How do we do that? We become hopelessly devoted to him. That we obey his commands. That we pass on the knowledge and experience of his goodness and his grace to the generations that come after. That we do not allow this holy lineage to stop with us. But that we would be a people who share the goodness of God with all whom we come in contact with. Will we be that holy people? Will we allow him tonight to circumcise our hearts? Because he'll not force himself upon us. And from the book of Deuteronomy, next week, we go in to this land that's flowing with milk and honey as we dive into the book of Joshua and we see the promise of God fulfilled. But we've got to be prepared. Let us be a holy people. There's a theme in the Old Testament, isn't there? From Genesis right through the Malachi, you'll find that the theme of the Old Testament is preparing ourselves to become the holy people of God. We were going to sing a song to finish, but I want us to sing Count Your Blessings again, because we have lots to rejoice about this evening.